This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Todd Willits, and I'm joined by EPFR's economist, Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming week. Cam, good morning. Did you enjoy watching the Super Bowl last night? <laughs> was it last night? It was. It shows how big of a football fan you yes, are. Yes. No, no. I'm actually looking forward to the... Uh, uh, international rugby season in Europe kicking off tomorrow. So, um, <laughs> uh, who won? That's a great question. We'll get to that next week. Uh, <laughs> so, this past week, other than the Super Bowl, obviously we saw uh, the continuation of that retail squeeze, uh, this time coming to EPFR tracked silver funds. Yes. So um, when we talked last week, I was uh, saying that uh, while we'd certainly seen a pickup in retail interest, um, it had moved along fairly conventional lines uh, in terms of uh, the funds we track. So, of course, no sooner had I said that than uh, the retail investors turned their attention to silver. And we did see a marked impact on the dedicated silver funds that we track. Uh, record-setting inflows um, that I'm you know, <laughs> pretty sure are not related to the fundamentals of silver, um, you know, solid as those are. Um, interestingly, I would certainly make the case that uh, silver is not a bad investment uh, in the current climate where uh, a lot of investors are trying to <laughs> balance expectations for reflation against fears that that will be accompanied by higher than average inflation. Uh, and silver does a straddle uh, across uh, industrial applications and uh, its historic role as the junior precious metal. Um, but uh, yes, no, no doubt that that uh, squeeze play sort of spilled over into our data last week. So I, I start that a little in jest on the retail investor, but it does seem like as the as time's gone on, it does look like there was more institutional money playing in those uh, those stocks, GameStop and AMC, than originally reported. Would you be surprised if it wasn't just retail money in this silver uh, those silver flows that we saw last week? Um, well, as I said, uh, I'd, I'd actually be less surprised uh, than uh, in the GameStop uh, squeeze, uh, mainly because, as I was just saying, I think there is a fundamental case for silver, especially uh, given the uh, yin-yang uh, thing we have going on with a great deal of faith in reflation, but um, a pretty deep undercurrent of fear that it will be uh, accompanied by more inflation than uh, the policymakers are expecting. It does seem like a lot is riding on this global reflation story. I know we saw uh, 24th retail inflow into global equity funds in the last half year. Um, do you think that continues? What, what's your take from what you've seen? 
Um, it, it's been uh, very consistent, and in that case, it it is both retail and institutional money that has been moving into that particular fund group uh, in anticipation of better days. Um, it's hard not to make the case that we're going to see some kind of rebound uh, starting in the summer. Um, you know, last year the epidemic epidemiologists were proved right uh, with the warmer weather, uh, the transmission rates and illness rates dropped uh, this year. Not only is that likely to happen, but there'll be many more people who've either had the disease or been vaccinated. So uh, expecting a lot of pent-up consumer demand to be released by late spring, I think, is a perfectly logical uh, expectation. Uh, and until proven otherwise, I think money will, will chase it certainly through the global funds, which give a, a diversified exposure to that hope for bounce. Um, but, uh, you know, the bigger question again is just how much damage has been done to the supply side of the uh, equation. Uh, and if, if, you know, supply chains are in worse shape, uh, than we understand, and uh, if capacity cuts uh, are less easy to reverse than we hope, uh, I can certainly see uh, prices uh, hitting, uh, price growth hitting levels we haven't seen in some time. Well, one sector that doesn't always have to worry about those supply chains is uh, tech. A lot of times we're, uh, we're, we're not talking about that, obviously, in the past couple weeks, I guess there are some delays on chips and things, just as money is flowing into the tech sector. Uh, it surprises me that we're seeing those inflows. What do you think is behind that right now? That's a good question. And there was certainly a solid retail component in those inflows last week. But uh, that said, the majority of the money that went in was institutional. Um, I have been expecting uh, flows in that area to slow a bit until people get a sense of just uh, how tight uh, a squeeze uh, regulators and uh, you know, taxation authorities are going to be able to uh, apply to the technology sector and what the impacts of their uh, supply chains, especially with regard to silicon chips, uh, is. Um, but on the other hand, I, I think there is a feeling that, uh, and this ties into the inflation side of things, that uh, uh, especially in that initial rush of demand, uh, companies are going to have more pricing power uh, than they may have had uh, in quite some time. Um, and that, uh, at least in the short run, uh, technology earnings could <laughs> uh, climb even higher uh, than their uh, eye-catching levels uh, over the past year or so. Is there a event or trigger that you could foresee scaring the market into pulling money back out of that sector? Uh, yes. Well, there's one geopolitical one, which is at the moment, uh, the production of certainly the upper end chips is, has become heavily concentrated in Taiwan. Um, and with China's new assertiveness and the fact that uh, we have a new 
uh, U.S. administration finding its feet. Uh, you know, I think if Chinese saber rattling reached a certain level, that could certainly um, jolt markets. Um, if some particularly restrictive legislation emerging from the U.S. Congress would be another, um, and the uh, regulators uh, in U Europe are uh, appealing uh, a favorable uh, tax judgment uh, there that uh, if they're successful in their appeal, uh, will make the business, you know, certainly the revenue side for the big tech plays less attractive. So staying in Asia Pacific, usually this is where I talk about the big flows into China, uh, but not this week. Where did we see the money flowing in the region? Right. Well, China received uh, you know <laughs> flows that were nothing to sneeze at, but they were eclipsed this week by uh, Korea equity funds. Um, and actually, once again, uh, we have to bring the retail investor uh, into the equation. Um, retail investors have been increasingly active in Korea, and uh, they've been encouraged by the government's uh, decision to put it so far temporary uh, ban on short selling, which uh, makes it a less risky uh, arena uh, for retail investors to pile into. Um, you know, there are some fundamental reasons why Korea, you know, is worth a uh, <laughs> uh, revisiting, uh, especially with sort of China on on the rebound and signs that uh, trade flows are, are beginning to pick up in the region. Um, but I think the flows were, were outstripped the fundamentals last week. Do you think the this is a long-term pivot or is this a, a blip on the map for for the the country? Well, I, I think in terms of the flows and the markets, uh, it's a, uh, another oscillation in what has been <laughs> uh, a, a somewhat vo volatile progress, um, you know, generally positive one, uh, especially for the benchmark index. But uh, I think uh, given that uh, the flows are beginning to separate from the underlying fundamentals, um, you know, we're likely to see more blips like this. Uh, perhaps of a red rather than dark color uh, as the money flows back out. So, Cam, before I tell you who won the big game last night, uh, what are you and the team going to be looking at this week in the data? Um, we are continuing to sort of take a closer look at uh, volatility. Um, the... Uh, a number of the key themes that uh, we have talked about on uh, this podcast, um, I think, add up to certainly fuel for uh, a more volatile year in, certainly in portfolio capital flows and, and markets in general. Uh, and that is the uh, growing involvement by retail investors. Um, the large wall of cash uh, that is building up uh, on the sidelines in savings accounts and money market funds. Um, and uh, the uh, growing focus on emerging markets, uh, 
all three areas that, that at various times in the past have been catalysts for uh, bumpier patches uh, in, in the overall investment uh, story. So um, we are trying to tease out uh, just how likely it is that these um, elements will combine uh, to inject greater volatility into the market this year. Great. Thanks, Kim. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com slash podcast.